0: Totally at the World Cup. You gotta be kidding me.
1: Why do you choose not to believe your own eyes?
2: Unbelievable! Unbelievable this!
0: Day 8. Defeat to Le Bleu means a Dieu to Peru as France goes through, Oz and Denmark drew and it's Argentina Boohoo as they met Croatia and ship three. Big Willy cock-up means a messy finish at this World Cup, but what awaits on Friday? Group E action. Brazil play Costa Rica in St. Petersburg. Serbia take on Switzerland in Kaliningrad, whilst Group D sees Nigeria taking on Iceland in Volgograd. It's the Toby Football Show at the World Cup. Hello, Jack Lang. Hello, James. Hello, Daniel Storey. Hello. Hello, James Horncastle. Hi. Jeremy Grundy asks, is anyone on the show wearing a bow tie with a jumper? (laughs) James Horncastle is. Mm. He's not, though, is he, Jack? No No one in their right mind would do such a thing.
2: I'm just wearing a bow tie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Hey, what a day. Thursday saw a whopping result between Croatia and Argentina. Saw all sorts of other things as well, but that feels like the big story. And a terrific result for Croatia. It looks as we speak to you, listener, it looks as though Argentina are going out at the group stage. Who, James and Jack, could have foreseen this? Which Sears could have predicted this before the World Cup even
2: started? I take no joy in this, James. Oh yeah. Ultimately this is one of the great football nations with yeah, it is an unevenly distributed team in terms of talent. You know, it's all top heavy. Mm. But this side I think still should not be going out in the group stages. Well yeah. I think the last year, you know, this is Sam had a full a full year with this team, and to still be experimenting with them and fiddling around with them as though they're like a Rubik's Cube, I think he does bear some responsibility mm. um, for, for, for what's happened.
0: Mike Mordu says Argentina are like a jumpsuited Elvis in the late seventies. Is Croatia their cheeseburger, Jack? <laughs>
3: <laughs> or
2: squirrel burger.
3: But I think everything they eat at the moment is giving them problems. It's not just Croatia. Croatia were very good at taking advantage of the chances that Argentina offered to them. But we saw against Iceland, it doesn't need to be a particularly expansive team to trouble this Argentina side at the moment. We've talked before about maybe mitigating circumstances for Sampaoli. And again, here we had, you look at the players in their starting lineup, you've got people from the Chelsea bench, Ajax, Hebei, China Fortune, Sporting Lisbon, the Argentine domestic leagues. They're not all players playing at the top European clubs, contrary to, you know, think about Spain. But I agree with James that Sampaoli has to take a little bit of the wrap for this. What I would say was particularly damning today was the central midfield area. So he brought in Enzo Perez alongside Javier Mascherano. Neither of them is a passer, and given how well Giovanni Locelso did before the tournament in the friendlies, looked very good, hasn't played a minute in the tournament. He's also got ever Benega, who came on to quite good effect in the game against Iceland didn't change that all match, just had these two kind of scuttling midfielders, no creativity. And even when the substitutes came, didn't change that. The middle of the park remained completely clogged, uh, no real creativity. And yeah, I thought we got it wrong.
0: At this point, people will be saying,
3: but what about Croatia?
0: (laughs) Thing is though, Nobody talks about the the iceberg. You want to know about Titanic. What what they're doing at the at the bottom of the ocean? And is Big Willie's mistake without that? Would it have gone like? Would it have gone this way? Do you think for Argentina, Daniel?
4: Yeah, at some point they feel like a ticking, ticking implosion, and they in every area of course Caballero's mistake opened the game up tonight. But just for anyone who didn't see it, so what happened there? So he gets a back pass, which he might be able to claim was a little bit. It was kind of late coming. Ante Rebic is bearing down on him to an extent, but rather than the launch ball clear, which he had ample opportunity to do, and rather than doing what you might expect in a caballero mistake, which is to try and take two or three touches of the ball, and, and the reason Sampali apparently liked him is that he was a passing goalkeeper. He doesn't even try and do that. He tries to dink the ball, I guess, over Rebic and just dinks it straight up into the air. And it, it was a brilliant finish, and it was a, an instinctive finish.
0: Basically, it goes higher than he's expecting, and thus not as far.
4: Like a fluffed golf chip, I suppose, from the edge of
0: the green. And it falls basically to Rebic, who who basically volleys it in from there.
4: Yeah, and and Rebic has time to control that ball and then try and beat Caballero, but, as I say, instinctively thrashes a volley over him.
3: I love that finish. Just, as Daniel said, could easily have taken a touch, could have looked for a man, but just emphatic. It was a big anti-climax. Second goal was good as well, wasn't it? Oh, sorry.
4: (laughs) Just nothing for the joke.
3: (laughs) Right.
0: Sorry. Right, that's nice.
4: The what I'm saying is about this ticking implosion is that it isn't just the goalkeeper situation is a mess and their first choice goalkeeper was a Manchester United reserve although I think a far more dependable than Willie Caballero. Their second choice, is, as Jack says, is a Chelsea reserve. But all over the pitch there are players who are not fit for purpose. And Sam Pauli's in the first game. Sam Pauli's big grand idea was to pass the water to Messi as much as possible, even if he had three or four men on him, which should create space for other players. But they didn't seem to take advantage of that. And he seemed to just lurch to the complete extreme in this game, which was they'll expect us to pass to Messi, so they'll have three or four players on him. Let's never do that. And when we do it, let's do it in really, really safe areas of the pitch. But the other players aren't good enough to take advantage of that. So they just look like a dismal team.
0: Quite often after disappointing World Cups, and maybe a year or two after, you'll hear from the players involved that in actual fact they just didn't want to be there. Did Argentina have that kind of look about them this evening?
3: You look at the way they're lined up before kickoff during the anthem and the camera panned across all of them 90 percent of them looked like (laughs) they just didn't want the game to start and then you get to messi whose head is literally in his hands and obviously you can read too much into these things but it looked like he was having some kind of premonition and it didn't look particularly excited for example or definitely not happy to be in a world cup match you could tell the pressure was on all of them
0: people We'll talk about this in terms of Argentina's demise, says Simon B, but surely we need to start talking about Croatia as potential winners of this tournament. No, Croatia, really, really disappointing for their fans, you have to say, who've been busy hanging out. I hope you all lose banners <laughs> around because uh, of all that business we were talking about yesterday with Luka Modric
2: and uh, Dejan Lovran. Mm. But yeah, what, what, what about the team? How far can they go? Well, look, it, I think if they were to win this group, they might play, what, Denmark in the, in the round of 16? And uh, we'll get to Denmark in a minute, but I don't think they've been too impressive so far. We all know that this team has a lot of talent in it. You, know, you look at the, the midfield tonight, they made a change uh, from what they did um, against Nigeria and played three in midfield with Brozovic just kind of holding in front of the defence. And I think that really crowded the, the middle of the park and made it hard. For Messi to to ever get time space, so in that respect, you have to give a little bit of credit to, you know, their no name manager Slatko mm. Dalic who came in in that final qualifier in Ukraine and had an Rise emphatic of the win, mm. Mm. and then got Invasion them through the play. <laughs> so yeah, you have to give them move over Dalic. <laughs> they keep coming. How many more have you got? Dalic high School. Yeah. Dalic Hamlets. Dalic Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, right. Yeah. Anyway, there yep. you go. Yeah, no, absolutely. Credit for Dalic. Absolutely. Daniel, as for Argentina, they need a win and a big one in their final group game against Nigeria. And if they get that, what are their prospects of actually getting out of the group?
4: Actually fairly good. So the strange thing is that this felt very much like the Germany-Brazil game from the last World Cup. This was, was their 7-1. Yeah, it was. And, and I read it was their, their heaviest World Cup defeat since a 6-1 defeat to Czechoslovakia back in the day, <laughs> um, he said, not knowing the year. But yeah, th- that's that was the mood around the game. And yet Argentina aren't out. If they beat Nigeria, unless uh, Iceland win their game, and if they do on win Friday. that on Friday, then mm. they can... Then engineer with Croatia a draw that sees Croatia top the group and Iceland go through, and both teams very happy holding hands. But right. if Iceland don't win their game, then, then Argentina actually all is not lost. The problem is that they will now face France in the final uh, last sixteen if they if they do get through. And in the mood they're in, this is it for them.
2: I mean, one of the reasons why there was so much hype around this Nigeria side going into the World Cup is because they beat Argentina. 4-2 in a friendly so. and they
0: followed that up with some great <laughs> they really have yeah. so, <laughs> so well, we'll talk about uh, Nigeria and their, their chances against Iceland in what is a crucial game not just for them but also now uh, Argentina a little bit later on quick round up of the scores then on Thursday in Nizhny Novgorod Croatia qualified for the last 16 with a 3-0 win over Argentina in Group E France beat Peru 1-0 to book their place in the second round and reduced the number of fans at the World Cup by about half And Denmark drew 1-1 with Australia in Samara. Mm. Group C then, France, and that 1-0 win over Peru. The French into the last 16. And don't tell Julien Laurent that they haven't impressed yet because he doesn't care. We caught up with
5: him in the press centre way out east in Yekaterinburg. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Jules, you're in Ekaterinburg.
6: I am indeed, four four hours ahead of you.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, you're always ahead of us, of course. But what's it like there on the border with <laughs> Siberia?
6: Uh, I have to say, it's really cold, and I was not prepared at all. It's really warm everywhere else in, in in Russia. You know, in Moscow especially. Coming down here, we had the rain, the wind, and it got really cold tonight. It's actually freezing. So. Um, a bit different, it's, it, it's got a different take to it, I have to say. Uh, you get Obviously, the stadium is very, very real with those two um, special stands they put on each side. But France, France won, so uh, you know, I can only be happy.
0: Right, France through to the last 16 now, which is uh, even more exciting. Uh, wh- what did you make of the performance though, Jules? Your friend Didier Deschamps, are you any more satisfied with, with this victory?
6: Yeah, I like him a bit more now. It was it was much much better than than the horror show that we had against Australia. I mean, to be fair, it, it was not hard to do better than than against Australia anyway. But you know, he went back to a 4-4-2 formation, which the players know. They they have all their bearings in it. They 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 know how it works. It's well drilled. They're well organized in it, and I think that made a big difference. Uh, Giroud coming back in the team was was huge as well. And like he said in in the on when I saw him, he said that formation also means that Kylian Mbappé has more space to run into than in the 4-3-3 that he played in against Australia, for example. So, even for Mbappé, that's better. Mbappé was, for me, the star of the game tonight with, with Pogba and Conte. He played so well, scored, scored a winning goal, obviously. He became the, the youngest ever uh, French goal scorer in a in World Cup. Uh, 19 years old and, and 183, 183 days, so it's another record for him. And yeah, there was loads of positives. Even in the second half, they didn't play as well as in the first half. But they, they dug deep, I saw. They defended really well. They were, the solidarity was good in the team. So I, I thought overall it was, it was very, very positive.
0: Just a narrow win with a deflected goal against Australia. A narrow win yeah. against a fairly uninspiring Peru side. Is this the stuff of champions?
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be. You know, they rode their luck a bit, especially in the first game. Tonight was a bit different. I thought they, they had more control over the game tonight, even if the second half was not as good as the first half. But they created a lot of chances. There were so many positives about tonight, especially compared to the horror show of, of Australia. But, yeah, maybe. I, think, I really think they will go from strength to strength. And as you can see with other big nations, it's not easy. Nothing is easy in this World Cup. And, and I think they'll be very happy to have two wins under their belt already, to go through already, to be through already. You can expect them to play even better, I think, against Denmark uh, next week in, in, in Moscow. And, and after that, once you get the, the last 16, you know, anything is, anything is possible. And you, know, you take one game after, after, after game. So um, it'd be interesting to see where they go from here. But they were certainly far more positive than, than after the Australia match.
0: Jules, about Peru, it's going to be sad to see their fans go.
6: They're incredible, Jimbo. I mean, I promise you, I've never seen anything like this before. The, the stadium here in Nürnberg is 35,000 um, seats. There must have been 25,000 of them. Right. You know, And this is 9,000 9, 9, 9, miles away from, from where they live, from Peru. It was just their support was incredible. Uh, it's a shame the team is going to you know, go out, obviously. But they have been incredible all through this competition and tonight, especially They were well outstanding.
0: Were you the only Frenchman there? I mean, apart from the team.
6: I think there were maybe 500 top, 500 tops. But the the, the anthem was something incredible. All through the game even you know after the, the French goal they were behind their team it was like a proper you know when we said 12 months blah 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 all of that uh-huh. you know it, it was it was exactly that it was really really special
0: and why were there so few French do you think why are there so few French fans following the team
6: I mean there were 2,000 against Australia in, in Kazan. Ekaterinburg is, is a tough place to go to I mean I know the Parisians have come here but they've, they've come to Moscow first they've been they've been everywhere. And I think coming to to is, is not easy. But we're not fanatics. That's not what we do. You know, the Peruvians hadn't, hadn't played in the World Cup for 36 years. We clearly meant a lot to them. They're clearly a big, big country of football, fanatics about football, which the French, you know, we're not. So uh, we're never going to have that sort of turnout. But we, we take what we, you know, we take what we have.
2: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Julian Ronder of ESPN FC. I look forward to seeing him when he uh, makes his return to London. What do you make of France? Then no
5: much
4: much less enthusiasm than Julian. Um, but scary if they were to get going.
0: And do you see a little bit of sign of momentum, they're slowly picking up speed?
4: I think they're very similar to Belgium, in that they have a coach who seems to who produces a team that achieves in spite of the um, the manager rather than because of him. Um I, I understand the move to go to Giroud up front um, and I think he probably would have started the game, the first game if he hadn't had his pre-tournament head injury this feels like a new France and it still feels like they're having to play in their old way to succeed and at a point in time as we, exactly the same with Euro 2016 they will come unstuck doing that against a team that works that out um, what do you mean by that sorry also they, they have these young hungry players they have you know the incredible pace that they could pick they could pick a front three of Griezmann and Mbappé and Dembele as they did in the first game and then as soon as that doesn't really work and they come up against a deep defence they struggle. They then play a Peruvian team against whom I think that front three would have been brilliant because Peru would have attacked them which Australia didn't and they could have then picked them off on the break but in the second half Peru did attack them and yet they had no control in midfield They, Mm. they played in panic mode it was very hopefully old school England in a World Cup where as soon as a team attacks them they get scared and France should be too good for that in to my mind and I worry about about them when they come up against a coach who I think Spain would be a very good example who tactically can just tell their players they'll lose their heads here if you keep control of the game and you keep control of midfield you know you'll be able to unnerve this team and and unnerve this manager I just I don't think he's a good enough manager for the job
2: it is a young team you're right in saying it's a new France I mean in the space of the two years since they reached the final of the Euros you know, this squad, there's 14 new faces in a 23-man squad. And a lot of these players are playing in their first major tournament. You know, we've seen those, those fullbacks that they've got who are not exactly comfortable, I think both 22. And you can understand, to some extent, some of the, the jitters that we're seeing amid... When you have so many players like that emerge in such a short space of time, you can understand it confusing the manager as well and that there not being the continuity you'd expect from someone who's been with France for three major tournaments now.
4: That's a really interesting example, again, to go, not to make it too Anglo-centric, but to go back to England. If England had Samuel Allardyce or still had Roy Hodgson in charge of this squad, a young squad, a new squad, it would feel false. Because they've got Gareth Southgate as a new manager, it kind of knits together. Hmm. If France had a new manager for a new squad, it would feel better to me but it feels like they've got an old guy the old guy for the new team and that doesn't work for me new wines in
0: in old skins to use an older example (laughs) if you wish (laughs) yeah uh shame for peru eh
3: jack yeah again they were very pioneering very positive and i thought neat and tidy until they got to the final third it was a blistering start wasn't it it was came flying out the traps Paulo Guerrero, I think, had their best chance early in the second half, I believe. But then he was the unlucky man to give the ball away for the goal. Looked pretty disappointed with that. And I think, like Morocco, it's a tournament that leaves them with a the feeling of, wow, what could have been? Because had Christian Quaver scored that penalty, I think that would have set them up very nicely in that game. Disappointing. Obviously, we've talked about the fans at length, but the team itself is also full of really likeable players, I think. And they just slightly ran out of ideas. But having said that, obviously France's goal was jammy as anything.
2: It's the contrast of, of of why particular teams are falling short. You look at Morocco and Peru; they do everything well until they get into the final third and then can't score. You look at Argentina; they've got all of those great goal scorers, but they they can't score either. And it's just like, you know, if only you could maybe put like Argentina's strikers in Peru's team or, or Morocco's, give them you know, dual nationality. Mm. That that would that would be that would be exciting for me. Yeah.
3: Get rid of a few of those South American borders, and we'll have a World Cup.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Denmark, meanwhile, elsewhere in the group, drawing one-one with Australia in Samara a game, which Michael Cox described as the most World Cup 2018 game of World Cup 2018 so far, with a great goal, a VAR penalty. Neither boring nor genuinely exciting, but <laughs> tense and engaging. It's a it's a, equally a very coxy tweet, yeah. isn't it? Is it's fair.
4: Denmark are a strange team in this tournament because we're used to them as with their sexy players and sexy kits as the kind of people's champions in a tournament. But this tournament that has been taken by non-European countries, those people's champions, and they have ground their way through this group and will probably grind their way to a knockout stage, which they will see as, you know, absolutely brilliant achievement given the squad. You know, this is a team who, this is a squad of players who failed to reach Euro 2016 as a 24-man European tournament and yet could reach the last 16 of the World Cup, which is a, a seriously good effort. Christian Eriksen obviously scored today. and Brilliant goal no? Yeah, that's 11 in 11 for him for Denmark. And I, I wrote a piece and saying that it's a seriously impressive effort from him because he, at club level he is a creator, pure creator, because they've got Harry Kane. But to then basically change his game at international level to become a goal scorer as well, because, you know, Nicholas Bentner almost got in that squad. And their second top score scorer is Nikolai Jorgensen with eight, and he's 27. So they just haven't got a goal scorer, as as plenty of teams in this tournament haven't. But he is making it work.
0: Australia have got a goal scorer. Yedinak. <laughs> their last three World Cup goals all scored by Yedinak. And no questions whatsoever about the penalty which led to this goal. <laughs> a, much. Australia, I guess, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. Because they were cost by a slightly controversial VAR given penalty in the in the, in the the French game, and they, they were gifted one here, really. Anyway, Denmark just need a point against France. Is that right? Put their place? Yeah. Okay.
3: Interestingly, oh. well, I say that. <laughs> you may have to assess that later. I was disappointed to see both teams wear their away kits for this, given that you might think gold and yellow and red don't really clash. Mm-hmm. And then also you might think that, given that Australia the so-called away team red and dark green don't really clash. Yet. Yeah, They both wore their away kits. Some people responded to me on this saying it might have to do with colour blindness or shade blindness, people uh-huh. being able to un, unable to distinguish. And interestingly, someone sent me a clip of a Danish talk show uh-huh. on the radio, and guess who calls in to discuss the issue of colour blindness? Denmark midfielder Thomas Delaney. Really? who, who suffers he from the condition and oh, said really? he'd played in a match with a red kit and a green kit, and he was struggling... To distinguish between them at long range, he That's said. It, it.
0: That's really interesting. I, I swear, I saw a, a Peru player passing to a linesman today, and I wondered if it was something along those lines. Is this what Renato M-
2: Sanchez was doing? With possibly
0: that. so. Possibly so. The Australia kit, though. I mean, we've, we've celebrated Nigeria's kit, and, and and obviously Peru's as well. That Nigeria kit looks like something that George Pauli would wear. It's it's really unpleasant. Garish. Yeah. All right. That's Thursday. Time now to turn our thoughts towards Friday.
5: Listeners, there are 32 teams and 736 players at the World Cup, but there are a million stories beyond the pitch in Russia. The excellent Game of Our Lives podcast is back for its second season and host David Goldblatt will bring you fiery discussion of the cultural, political and sociological issues that make football the world's greatest sport. Along with his co-host, David will be discussing things like Iceland's incredible rise and Panama's amazing journey to their first tournament, as well as taking deep dives into historical matches that still have resonance for today's game. Search for Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now.
0: Coming up on Friday at 1 o'clock, Group E action. Mm -mm. Brazil taking on Costa Rica in St. Petersburg. Back to Group D for Nigeria-Iceland in Volgograd. And then Group E to finish off with a whopping Serbia-Switzerland clash with all sorts of geopolitical overtones in Kaliningrad on the shores of the Baltic. What do you fancy discussing first, Jack? Would it be the match that... All of Argentina are going to be watching avidly Nigeria's clash with Iceland. This is at the Volga Grad Arena. Just remind me for a second, what is it that Argentina need to
3: happen? I'm medically allergic to permutations. Okay, Daniel.
4: (laughs) They will be uh, Nigeria or draw fans. The worst thing for them is Iceland winning. Iceland. Iceland, who, of
0: course, held Argentina to what at the time looked like an impressive 1-1 draw in their first game, but they now must be wondering how they dropped points. Probably. Well, the question then is... As Nigeria prepare to take on our boys, are we about to lose another of the World Cup's finest kits? They, of course, Nigeria had a disappointing debut at this tournament. 2-0 their defeat to Croatia. We'd add up Anu Adeoye of uh, SP Nation and in the Yahoo Sports to find out how optimistic he is. Anu, thanks for joining us. Big pressure then on the Super Eagles uh, in this game in Volgograd, how optimistic are you that this one's going to be better?
7: I'm not very optimistic, Jimbo, and neither are a lot of Nigerians because uh, we expected a lot. We expected way better than, than what we saw on Saturday in Kaliningrad and that performance was terrible. We're susceptible at set spaces mm. and Iceland, I don't know if you've seen them, yeah. they're very good with set spaces and that's a major worry going into tomorrow's game.
0: What was the biggest biggest disappointment for you about Nigeria's performance in the game with Croatia?
7: I think it was the total no-show because Croatia didn't even need to get out of second or third year. We we weren't any match for them. And uh, as many people have said, the, the tactics didn't look spot on because we're very reactionary side. All our very good performances against Argentina last year, uh, against Argentina last year, and against England at Wembley, we've performed... Considerably well in the second half when our manager turns things around tactically. But on Sat, on Saturday, for reasons best known to him, he decided to leave things as they were. And uh, our best passer, Iwobi, was out wide when he should have been playing centrally. Mikel Obi was way too close to to the attack when he should have been starting attacks. As Mourinho said, we lost a good six to get a bad ten. Mm. So we are we are hopeful the manager will turn things around tomorrow, but if his press conference today is anything to go by, he has said the problem wasn't his tactics, that the problem was organization, that to quote him, we lost to stupid goals, which I agree to, the penalty was an uncharacteristic bad decision from Tristekong, who is usually way better than that. Mm. But I think we need to see some tactical maneuvers from our manager to be better, and I'm not optimistic that will be the case tomorrow.
0: I think I'm right in saying that Iceland is 577 times smaller than Nigeria. So this kind of should be a game that, that Super Eagles can win. What would you think would be the reaction if they're out after the game?
7: A lot of Nigerians, after the first game, uh, a lot of Nigerians were united in their disappointment. So tomorrow, uh, in typical Nigerian fashion, the, the talk in the build-up to this game has, has been we will lose. But I'm sure that by the time tomorrow comes, everybody will get behind the team. But should we lose tomorrow, there will be nobody disappointed. I mean, they, they could be disappointed, but they will not be surprised.
0: Anno Adeoye there of Yahoo Sports. To be fair, it is a great Mourinho quote, that actually, about Jonovi Mikel, isn't
4: it? He's basically spent this whole tournament on Russia Today with sly digs. Not full-on zings, but sly digs at players he used to manage he said about willy caballero that he might, basically his rough translation is he might well not have been in goal which actually turned to be quite prescient but yeah so he's just he's done it to two or three players in this tournament just sly digs mm. so unlike him
0: so so <laughs> unlike him gunart raw the nigerian manager says we will not lose this game
2: otherwise it'll be a, a raw deal uh,
0: yeah yeah nicely done <laughs> but what what are the chances then of an upset with an Iceland team who are actually winless in their last seven outings, basically ever since qualifying for the World Cup.
2: Look, I think uh, Nigeria, in the build-up to this tournament, did play well, as we saw in the second half against England, where they kind of made a couple of tactical changes. They went to a back three and actually scared a few teams. So, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, they've got absolutely no chance in this match.
0: Three-time African champions. They've hmm. got the pedigree, no?
2: Yeah, exactly, and... um, he does have options off the bench. We've seen Ianacho and um, it's a different team, but it's cup football, and in the FA Cup, Iannatiero, you know, he's he's got something. And um, what disappointed me in that first game against Croatia was just how isolated Igallo was, but just how static he was. He wasn't moving at all, and it was so easy for like Lovren and uh, and Vida to just cope with him. So you know, maybe with a bit more dynamism from someone like Iannatiero, they might cause cause Iceland a few more problems. Jack's nodding.
3: Out of uh, solidarity for James, making a a very cogent point, but I don't think Nigeria will. Okay, all right. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the dynamic works with Iceland entering a major tournament game as favourites. We know that they've thrived when teams have underestimated them. They like to cede possession sometimes if it means them getting reorganised at the back and breaking quickly. But this is a game they probably will expect to win. I mean, Heimer Halgrimson has said as much in his pre-match press conference. But he said, they're going to win as well. He says he expects to win. Well, that's I mean, something's going something's to, give, got to then. give. Yeah, but I I think they will be too organised and on set pieces. I think they will be able to take advantage of Nigeria's uncertainty, shall we say.
0: Also, they can they can pump it up long, can't they, Iceland? And that's exactly where Nigeria came unstuck in the game with Croatia. That's my big tactical take on that one. Iceland winger Johan Bergmundsen is in doubt for this game after picking up an injury. In other news, the Iceland Post Office is going to be closing early on Friday so everyone can watch the game. So if you're looking to post a letter, listener in Reykjavik, do it early on Friday.
4: I like the idea that people will get that news from us rather than from Icelandic news. That's quite reassuring. That might do. No, it's reassuring. I like it.
0: If you've got any other notices, Icelandic Post Office, we're here for you. Now, one o'clock then. On Friday, about the time that the Icelandic post offices are closing, Brazil take on Costa Rica. Jack, Brazil have already had one great result this week Argentina getting beaten. Yeah. Yeah. What chance of them getting another in this clash?
3: I think quite a good chance. They struggled against Switzerland after a good start. They fell back, stopped pressing as they had been in the opening 20 minutes, and they were quite impressive. ChiChi has said he wasn't really sure why that happened. You may question why he didn't do anything about it at the time, mm. but perhaps just opening night nerves. But their record against smaller teams, shall we say, is fairly good. They, I think, are fairly confident they're going to name the same lineup. Neymar, after a minor injury scare, will be fit to play.
2: Uh-huh. There is some breaking news. Oh, go on then. Danilo has not trained, so it looks like Fagner will be playing as the right-back.
3: Oh, that's interesting. He's probably a little bit more fluent going forward. He's also a nasty piece of work. Huh. But yeah, I think Brazil largely seemed fairly confident. There's been a little bit of head-scratching over the first game, but also a lot of referee-blaming. Oh, really? Yeah. It, well, it's the why, first What was it the referee's for? Well, they thought there was a shove by Steven Zuber on Miranda for the goal. They also oh, yeah. thought there was a penalty for a foul on Gabriel Jesus. Personally, I think the referee got both of those calls right. But Brazil's federation sent a letter of complaint to FIFA... Fairly typical of what is not the most uh, praiseworthy organisation, shall we say, but hopefully they'll be able to put that out of the minds of the players and get on with it because it's quite a winnable game, I think. Right, It's
4: going to be interesting because Neymar, obviously, he came away early from training, I think, and I know every knock that he gets becomes a sensational news story, but... Costa Rica are incredibly physical, and in the did it in the last World Cup. I've already done it in this World Cup. And if Neymar is going to get injured against an opponent, who are going to give him a kick? Then I don't. I'm not sure they could have picked two. Worst sides to face in their next two games before the knockout stays in Costa Rica and Serbia.
0: Would you put Firmino on in and give him a,
4: a break? I would certainly, if they get an early lead, as they did against Switzerland, at least try and reinforce that lead and not fall back. And if they go two 0 up at half time, I would hope that they would take off Neymar pretty quickly because, you know, the the embarrassment of riches they have on the bench is, is enough that they shouldn't be relying on Neymar as much as they were in 2014 anyway. Okay, the play
2: of his ego though will want to be on the pitch. Competing for the golden boot, which, you know, at the moment, Ronaldo looks like he'll be adding to his Yeah, it's not collection.
0: like they're playing a Liga side or something. Exactly. What yeah. out there? <laughs> well, Costa Rica, yeah. 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 Sure. Costa Rica, who come into this off the back of their 1-0 defeat to Serbia, scheduled media activity on Wednesday was cancelled amid reports of a rift. Between their goalkeeper, uh, Kaylor Navas of Real Madrid and other senior players, Captain Brian Reese says you have to understand that Kayla is on another level than the rest of us, but that doesn't mean he's not a great teammate, that he isn't himself around us. So that's all all right then. We just have to thank him for coming, thank him for defending us and for doing what he does on the field to help us. That's good. Apparently, there was also another argument between uh, Venegas and the defender Gonzalez, which accidentally was broadcast live on Costa Rican television when Oops. they went at it in. Great fun. Yeah. It's... So, is, is there unrest seething away and simmering away in, in that squad?
3: Well, it's not a surprise that Ruiz would defend Navas because they, as a pair, have been accused in the media in the last, not just this World Cup, but dating back six, eight months of being a kind of de facto cabal running the team instead of the manager, being accused of playing a part in the downfall of previous coaches and undermining
2: the authority of the current coach, Oscar Ramirez. Well, to be honest, he undermined himself when, after the uh, Belgium warm-up game. He said oh, their 10 was quite good. I don't know who he is. I'm mean, just yeah. Eden Hazard.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Kayla Navas has denied that this week, not in his press conference, but he gave a long interview to Costa Rican media and he said, we are with the coach to the death. And you just oh, hope, it, hope it doesn't you? come to that.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh dear. Second oldest team in the World Cup for what that's worth.
3: Slightly troublingly for Brazil, Costa Rica are pretty good at dead balls. Giancarlo Gonzalez the defender had two really good chances against Serbia okay. and Brazil even though they don't concede many goals so they've only conceded uh, I think six under Cheech five of them have been from crosses and set pieces from out wide so that could be an area Costa Rica might be able to exploit Jack what do you think's going to happen though I think a fairly straightforward but unglamorous win for Brazil so mm-hmm.
5: maybe 2-0 2-0 ok Sun, sea, sand and football. Watching the World Cup on holiday sounds like paradise. Until you try watching a game online and realise seconds before kickoff that it's blocked. Well, instead of bemoaning your decision to book a trip during a tournament that comes around once every four years, you need to get yourself a virtual private network from bestvpn.com. And you'll be able to access the internet freely wherever you are this summer, all for less than the price of a pint. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get 70% off a VPN by visiting bestvpn.com slash podcast. Bestvpn.com will set you up with a VPN in minutes so you can watch the football from your deck chair or by the pool. And when it comes to security, bestvpn.com will also protect your internet activity from prying eyes on open Wi-Fi networks. No matter where you are in the world, you can access your online home comforts with a VPN. So unlock the internet today with bestvpn.com. Find out more and get 70% off by heading to bestvpn.com podcast.
0: the other game in that group sees Serbia taking on Switzerland at Kaliningrad Stadium. Serbia, pretty much our official totally dark horses. To get a, a local perspective on their real prospects, we dialed up Kirsten Schlewitz, uh, football writer in Belgrade and the editor of our Unusual Efforts website for her thoughts on this game and also the significance of the fixture against a Switzerland side that features multiple Kosovo Albanians.
8: Well, it depends on if you like your dark horses very slow. I'd say Serbia is one of the slowest teams in the tournament and that could definitely hinder them. And that's combined with their defence, which is quite old and can easily fall apart at any time. Serbia actually used a three-man back line in qualifying, but when they change coaches, they shift to a four, which pushes Ivanovic out to the right, and he's not been in that position for probably three years. I mean, I love Ivanovic, and I think he's still an excellent player, but the defense is definitely their weakest point.
0: A little suspect at the back, Kirsten, but loads of talent throughout the team. Kolarov with set pieces, you've got Tadic, Milinkovic-Savic, of course Mitrovic up top. It's a dangerous side.
8: I would say so. I mean, one of my issues in the first match was that they weren't using the left side enough. They were going up the right and I don't know if that was because the left side was in sun and they just were trying to avoid that or if they really generally thought that their right side was better If they work on that, manage to get the ball out to the left as well, use Yajic, then I think that going forward they'll be even stronger.
0: You mentioned Adam Lajic there for people who haven't been following. What's the situation here with him and the national team?
8: So the story is back in around 2012 when Mihailović was the coach, Adam Lajic got kicked off the team because he wouldn't sing the Serbian national anthem. He's Muslim. I won't go into all the reasons why, but essentially he feels it doesn't represent him. He doesn't kneel on the pitch. He doesn't do anything that disrespects the anthem. He simply does not sing. So against Costa Rica, again, he stood with his arms around his teammates and he simply did not sing. And one of Serbia's more nationalist politicians sent out a tweet directed at the coach that said yeah, it should be kicked off the team for disrespecting the country in that way. But most fans within the country basically rolled their eyes. They don't think it's a problem anymore. They like having Yaya on the team. They don't understand why anyone would make a big deal of his decision not to sing the anthem.
0: Kirsten, the game with Switzerland, a number of the Swiss team are Kosovan Albanians. And I think there's a lot of talk that they might be wearing Kosovan flags on their boots. Is that going to be something that whips up further tension in the match?
8: Well, hopefully it will not make it too tasty, as in a brawl erupting like it did against Albania back in 2014. Uh, What's going on are players like Shaka and Shakiri are from Kosovo. They're Kosovo Albanians. And the Serbian media, let me make it clear, it's the media, not so much those two players themselves. The Serbian media has exaggerated what they have said about the game and that it's important that they beat Serbia due to Serbia's war and current issues with not recognizing Kosovo. But what they actually said was much more mild. One said that he was just trying to put his emotions behind him and just thinking about it as another game. So what's really fueling the fire and what could affect the Serbia team is what the media is saying in terms of what those particular players are planning to do, how they're planning to go out all out, how they just want to take Serbia down, essentially.
0: Kirsten Schlewitz, and you can read more of her thoughts and uh, other interesting perspectives on football at unusualefforts.com. I forgot to ask Kirsten that she... If she could confirm whether Serbia is responsible for 95% of the world's raspberry exports.
2: Well, interestingly enough, James, uh-huh. their manager, Miladin Kristajic, yeah. has an orchard. Oh, yeah. Because he produces uh, raki. Oh, yeah. Um, he owns one of the five biggest distilleries in Serbia, which is,
0: which is grape. Uh, it's, it's like, like, like a wrapping. brandy kind of yeah, right. yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, yeah, very proud of it. It's called uh, Hubert, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's his big post-football passion until he obviously got the job to replace, what, Muslin. So, yeah. Oh, Wonder if if they, if they want to celebrate, if they if they go through, they can maybe have a, a shot of Raki together, you know?
0: Yeah, that'd be... Uh, that's nice. What do you make of this game, Daniel?
4: This is the game of the group. Because Switzerland got the draw against Brazil, mm. Serbia know um, that they would have to get something from Brazil if they don't win the game. Switzerland know that they need to win the game because... They only drew their first game and they've no got no guarantees. This is the game of the group. This is the must-win for both of them. And this, to my mind, I thought Costa Rica were easy the weakest team and Brazil were easily the strongest team in this group. It hasn't really panned out that way. But this, when you looked at the draw, other than denmark Peru looked like the one that it was the standout game in the group to finish second. It would obviously be between these two. And the way Serbia started with Milinkovic-Savic finally getting his first competitive start at the World Cup, under a manager making his, on his competitive debut as a manager at the World Cup. Serbia suddenly feel like this forward-thinking young side, and yet also have gnarled Branislav Ivanovic and gnarled Alexander Kolarov at the back. So, suddenly they look very balanced. I'm not sure about dark horses, but I think they will win this
0: this game. Mm. Switzerland, the, the one more drawing it with with Brazil, but they they held Spain to a draw in, in the run up to the World Cup as well.
4: I, I think Switzerland. I think every time they go into a game like this, I think they'll lose this. They'll lose this. They'll lose, and they always kind of find a way. I know they're high up in the rankings through friendly arranging, but. Yeah, I, I always underestimate them, but I still think they'll lose this. I'm not l- learning from my mistakes. They've right.
2: got a lot of feisty competitors. Valon Barami. Well, and
0: that midfield he He's got three. the Kosovan flag tattooed on his arm. Yeah. Have some of that. I mean, it's huge huge uh, backstory there, but hey.
2: Well, also, I mean, Granit Shaka's father was a political prisoner for three and a half years, so.
0: Also, Serbia refused entry to the Kosovan karate team to the recent European Championships just this May. i will mm. be sad. Yeah. So, uh just saying. Just saying. Uh, anyway, Barami was in some doubt, actually, because he got quite knocked around, I think, in the... Uh, he in the... got knocked around knocking other <laughs> players around, <laughs> right, like
2: Neymar, yeah. principally. But yeah, that midfield three of, of him, Shaka, and uh, Ximayli, Yeah. are uh, very busy, a lot of energy, and, and as we said, not afraid to throw themselves about.
0: But what a midfield battle, because Milivojevic Milovo- and, and, and Matic on the other mm. side, and
2: uh, ooh, yeah.
0: It could come down to whether Mitrovic takes his chances
2: this time. Yeah, I mean, that was a bit of a surprise, I suppose, given the form he'd been not only in the Championship with with Fulham, but also that final warm-up game against Bolivia where he scored a hat-trick. Final goal, if you haven't seen it, go check it out because it's a beauty. That's one of the things why I think Serbia might just have the edge over Switzerland. Switzerland are a very awkward team to play against who always seem to get results. We saw that in qualifying. They won every game apart from the last one. But they don't have a, a goal scorer up front. And Mitrovic could be that for Serbia. So, you know, I think that, that might be where this game is, is won.
3: Okay.
0: Jack, do you want to call this?
3: I think Switzerland will get something from it. And I think it may be a very boring draw. Oh. But I, I think that may be enough for Switzerland. Okay.
0: This is the Friday night game, isn't it? This will be the one we're finishing on this tomorrow.
3: We're all missing out on the pub for, you yeah. Right.
0: I tell you what, let's find out what the odds are on Friday's games now with uh, Paddy Pat talking to producer Ben
5: thanks Jimbo, Lee Price from Paddy Power is here as usual, Lee we're looking forward to Friday's games and there's some pretty decent ones Uh, things kick off with Brazil versus Costa Rica,
1: Brazil need a win here, Mm, they do Uh, they were right in the first match but a little bit underwhelming, they're 1 to 7 to win this match though so we don't think that will affect them here Costa Rica who themselves weren't exactly firing all cylinders are 20 to 1 to win this match after their first round defeat and it's 6 to 1 the draw but Surely, if Brazil really are the favourites, which they just about still are, they're going to win this fixture. It's Serbia versus Switzerland
5: in the late game. That's also in Brazil's group. Now, Serbia, we really like the look of here. Um, are, they going to, are they going to win this group? Are they going to beat Switzerland handsomely?
1: Whew. Uh, Serbia were very good, weren't they? Uh, it was only a 1 0 victory, but they were very convincing. They're 15 to 8 to win this fixture, but they're not favourites to win this fixture. Switzerland are 6 to 4, which is around 12 to 8, and therefore the narrow favourites after their draw of Brazil which is no less impressive. Two to one the draw here. Both these teams have their eyes on uh, qualification, but Switzerland definitely need the victory.
5: And sandwiched in between those two games is Nigeria against Iceland. Iceland, everyone's second favourite team, I'm going to say, in a hugely patronising and generalised way. Uh, Nigeria, they weren't very good, but they will be wearing their nice kit for this one.
1: <laughs> which is no less patronising. Uh, they're 13 to eight win this fixture narrow favourites above Nigeria who are 15 to 8 who really only do have their kit going for them at this stage it's 21 to 10 for the draw Iceland one more famous victory away from qualification against all odds
0: you can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com it's 18 plus only begambleaware.org and when the fun stops stop now tomorrow James you're back aren't you Mm -hmm. on Friday and uh, Jack you're back as well apparently so so Daniel you're not here Yeah, cheers
4: for the invite (laughs)
0: But you're going to come back another day?
4: Yeah, hopefully so. We have invited.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tom Williams is rejoining us tomorrow. You can be part of it too, listener. A, by listening, but also send us a question or something like that at The Totally Show on Twitter, or you can come and make friends on Facebook, uh, where there's loads of videos, quizzes, competitions and more. Do look forward to speaking to you again tomorrow. Hope you enjoy your day in the meantime. For now,
5: from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given, or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.